Attention Northwest Arkansas businesses and talent seekers. Introducing Onboard NWA.com, your hyperlocal job board crafted for our unique community. Struggling to find the perfect match for your job openings? Onboard NWA simplifies the hiring process, connecting you with the region's top talent through tailored talent matching solutions. Whether you're an employer seeking expertise or a professional looking for your next opportunity, Onboard NWA is here for you. Discover more at onboardnwa.com and let's build the future of Northwest Arkansas together. Hello, Northwest Arkansas. Randy here, bringing you a quick word from our sponsor, Signature Bank of Arkansas. Since 2005, Signature Bank has been all about empowering our community with local ownership and top-notch banking services. Signature Bank's roots run deep with assets over a billion dollars, and they're right here in your backyard with branches in Bentonville, Rogers, Springdale, Fayetteville, and now including Harrison and Jonesboro. With a growing family of more than 200 teammates, they're ready to serve you with the warmth only a true community bank can offer. And they've got Banco C, the first bilingual bank in Arkansas, to ensure that banking is for everyone. So give Signature Bank a call at 479-684-3700 or visit Signature.Bank online. Mention you heard about them on the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast for that personal touch. Signature Bank of Arkansas, big on assets, local at heart, and a proud member of the FDIC and an equal housing lender. It's time for another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas, the podcast covering the intersection of business, culture, entrepreneurship, and life in general here in the Ozarks. Whether you are considering a move to this area or trying to learn more about the place you call home, we've got something special for you. Here's our host, Randy Wilburn. Hey folks, and welcome to another episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. I'm your host, Randy Wilbur, and I'm excited to be with you today. I have got a great group of folks that are joining me for the podcast. It's not every day that typically when I do this podcast, I usually am sitting in front of one other person or I'm online with one other person. But today I have two fabulous people with me, Herbert and Sarah Buchanan from RestoreHumanity.org. And I just want to tell you how I ran into or met these guys. And I want to just give a big shout out to a good friend of mine, Gary Head. And Gary Head is the founder of Signature Bank. He's an outstanding individual, a man about town, and one of the best community bankers that you'll ever want to meet. And he and I have built a relationship since the time that I set foot in Northwest Arkansas. And I'm really thankful for that because it has led me to so many wonderful people and 
Herbert and Sarah are the next group of names that I can add to that list. So I'm excited to be sitting here with them. And and the reason why I asked them to come on the podcast was because I got to attend an event at Bordino, shout out to Bordino's, where Herbert and Sarah talked about their mission, which is a program called Restore Humanity. And it is an outstanding program. And I will never do it justice to talk about it, which is why I brought them on the podcast to share their superhero origin story and talk about why they find themselves in Kenya, why they find themselves in East Africa, helping people that are thousands of miles away from them here in Fayetteville. And they're making a difference in one life at a time as they do it. So without further ado, Herbert and Sarah Buchanan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Absolutely. Absolutely. It is my pleasure. So, you know, ladies first, because you know what, and I'll let you go first, Sarah, because you uh, really did a phenomenal job explaining Restore Humanity and explaining the difference that you guys are making. But I would love for you just to kind of tell your superhero origin story, how you guys connected. And then and then I'd, I'd love, let's get into Restore Humanity because I, I think our audience would really like to hear the story about what you guys are doing right now. Okay. Yeah. I also would love to give a shout out to Gary Head though, because he's, <laughs> he's wonderful. He's such a big supporter of Restore Humanity. And we, when we started our organization in 2006, that's where we started banking and we've done it ever since then. And he's been really wonderful. Gary's so. the real deal. I he tell is. people all the time. I mean, and I'm everybody like, that just... works there, you can <laughs> constantly get in touch with people. Like yeah. I mean, they're fantastic. It's not often that your banker gives you their cell phone number. Right. You can reach them <laughs> right? whenever you got a question. You know, I mean, I'll it. be traveling abroad and I have issues and they get them taken care of like, like instantly. That. Yeah. 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 They're no. fantastic. You got to love it. You got to love it. So yeah. Okay. Well, so I was born and raised here in Fayetteville, Arkansas. Okay. You know, went to FHS and then I went to UT and in Austin and okay. studied there. And I came back home, wasn't quite sure what I was going to do. I was a Montessori teacher for a little bit, taught French and Spanish to little kids because kids is always something that's been a big part of who I am, big place in my heart. But I had always wanted to go to Africa my entire life. I can't really explain to you why. Since mm-hmm. I was little, I don't. It was just something that was there. And I decided in 2005 to go to. South Africa and volunteer. And so I basically got online and searched for like two months, like volunteer in Africa, which is a lot of options. But anyway, I decided on South Africa and lived there for about five months. And it just kind of turned my entire world upside down. Yeah. So after that trip coming back, I felt first frustrated. But then when I came back and I started telling people about all the different things that I'd seen and the struggles that people were having and I found so many people in this community going, well, what are we going to do? What are we going to do? And I kind of found I was like the bridge between people that wanted to help and people that needed help. Mm-hmm. And it took me kind of some soul searching for a little bit. But I decided, you know, I kind of felt like there was something I was supposed to be doing for a while. It was this restless feeling. I couldn't figure it out. And I decided to start Restore Humanity. And once I decided to start a nonprofit, I mean, not really knowing what I was doing, but getting a lot of help and advice. We just decided to go for it. And I started Restore Humanity in 2006. And we originally started just helping the projects that I had worked with in South Africa because they were already established and they needed help. And I just worked with them. But the next year, actually getting to Kenya is kind of what took us on a whole other level. So (laughs) now did somebody suggest you go to Kenya or was that planned or how did that how did you end up there? Because, you know, and I've been I've spent a lot of time, as I told you guys offline in South Africa, Botswana, Zimbabwe that whole part of Africa, the Horn of Africa, as they call it. But the east side of Africa is a lot different. Mm -hmm. And 
very different. And then the West side of Africa right. is different too. So, you know, people think Africa, they think of just like, it's like, I mean, Africa is huge. Yes. And sometimes they'll still call it a country, but right, yes, right. it's a continent. Yes. It, take you, it, it could take you 12 hours for, and the time that you could fly back and forth from New York to LA, you still wouldn't have crossed mm. all of Africa. Right. Yeah. So just And it's completely different. Language wise, people, culture, everything. Yeah. Um, yeah. South Africa and Kenya couldn't be more different, but so I had, so Kenya, someone was actually trying to, in 2007, someone was trying to get me to go to Ethiopia. Okay. And she was telling me she's from Ethiopia. She was telling me she'd come check it out. And I had always wanted to go to Kenya. I'd been to Kenya once, like my trip to South Africa, I went there for five days because I have a lot of friends from Kenya, people that I'd met in Austin and people I'm very close to. And I wanted to help in Kenya, but you can't just like show up somewhere and be like, hi, I'm here to help, yeah. you know, especially as an American person. And so Honestly, I prayed about it one night and I was just like, if I'm supposed to go to Kenya, if there's something we're supposed to be doing there, just give me some sort of sign, which sounds kind of bizarre. But I just thought if this is going to work, I feel like God has to be, it has to be something bigger than me because I'm sure. just one person, right? The next morning, this is bizarre, but the next morning I got a call from my friend's sister who they're from Kenya and their mother lives in Kenya. And she said, Sarah, I had a chance to look at your website. I hadn't mentioned this to them at all. I had a chance to look at your website, and I was wondering if you guys are going to expand into Kenya, if you're going to do anything in Kenya. And kind of the hairs on my arm stood up. You know, I was just <laughs> like, this is really strange. And she was like, well, my mom has retired, and she's moved from Nairobi and now lives in Serimbe in the village, and she's got a building, and she's got land, and she wants to open a children's home. Is this something you'd be interested in? And I just was like, my jaw was on the floor, and I honestly booked a ticket within 24 hours to go. Yeah. So, I mean, it was it was just a bizarre thing. And I went to see if it was even feasible, but I just kind of followed that direction. Sure. Didn't go to Ethiopia, didn't go anywhere else. And then going there, I think I spent eight weeks the first time there in the village just to see what the need was and see if it was possible and spend time with Mrs. Opat, who I'd met her before because I knew her kids and she'd been to visit them there. But it was a whole other relationship we were building together. But yeah, so that's how we ended up there. And Mrs. Opat is like, she's the co-founder of what we do now, our JCO Children's Home there. And she basically is like, people will say, it's so neat, the work that you're doing. I'm like, this is my partner. I mean, Mrs. Opat, who I also call Made, Juanita Opat is her name. She's like, none of this happens without her. She's so the secret sauce. Yeah. Yes, she's yeah. definitely the secret sauce. And so with together, we've been able to do, we opened our children's home in 2010. So my first time I went was 2007. We started raising money to build this children's home. Took three years, huh? Yeah. Well, it was also the recession. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. That's right. right. Yeah, and that, I, and little, I, that little R word, yes, right? And yeah, I wanted recession. to speed up. You know, I was ready to just like, we got to get kids in there. We got to do this stuff. And I had people, my board, thankfully, was like, you need to slow down. Yeah. Like, you got to have money to take care of the kids before you can get them in there, which was totally true because you don't want to take kids from chaotic situations and bring them somewhere and then you can't take care of them, you know? Right. And thank goodness they told me that. And we decided to, we had to have money to take care of them for a year before we were moving them in. And thank goodness we did that because then the recession hit. So it took longer. But if, you know, we would have rushed, this would be a whole different story. Yeah. And I mean, it just, you know, like I always tell people, a lot of times when you, that was a door that you were able to enter into that you didn't have to kick open, it just opened for you. Yeah. And I mean, I, I love, I, I love hearing stories like that. And, and I think all of us need to, hear an encouraging story like that from time to time to realize that sometimes it's not our power that does anything. It's just other things that come together to work for good for what you're trying to put to get, what, you know, what you're trying to make happen. And yeah. it will just, it will just come together in such a profound way. And so I, I'm glad that, that you shared that because that, and again, even then it still took three years mm -hmm. 
to develop it. So, you know, so oh, these yeah. things. Especially at the beginning, you know, people were just looking at me like I was just this young girl that, you know, they're just kind of giving me a pat on the shoulder like that's neat, sweetie. That's a great right. idea. <laughs> you know, It took some time to get. But now we've got just this incredible base of donors that have been People there with us. People know you're serious and you've well, got yeah. 12 years under your belt now. Yeah. So, yeah, I think it's, I mean, I was impressed by what you shared. And for those of you that are listening, I, I got a chance to watch. I got invited to this get together and it was a wonderful party. It was, there was a great food, great wine and, and just an outstanding presentation about Restore Humanity, which really just stuck with me from the moment that I saw it. And that's why I was like, wow, I got to share this story with you guys, because I think you'll, you'll really enjoy this. So now, how did you guys connect? You guys being Herbert and so Sarah. So <laughs> I'm, we're actually both from Fayetteville. Right. And went to high school at the same time. Okay. You guys weren't in the same grade though, right? I was in the class older than him. Oh, so yeah, okay. Was... Like the younger men, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. As I like older women. <laughs> yeah, so. I'm only like seven months old. No, I know. I'm that. messing with you. That's fine. So. <laughs> So you guys are both bulldogs. Yes. Correct. Yes. Okay, cool, cool. And then it just... Yeah, so we actually... Do you remember me from high school? Not really. Well, we... <laughs> so the, I mean, it's mutual. Really. I, I, I don't... Mean, we kind I, of... I, it's like we we basically mutually knew a bunch of different people. And then through friends... Like when we were in college, we became yeah, we friends through friends. other people. And then we became like very close friends for a long time. I mean, we were friends for a very long time before we started right. dating. And then, so she went to UT, which I don't hold against her. Yeah, yeah, it's all good. We right. took care of that business last September, though. <laughs> that's, that's so I'm just messing with right. you. So I always cheered for the hogs when the hogs yeah. were. No, I'm all, a Razorback. Yeah, I'm it's all, it's all good. Fair enough. I went. I stayed here in Fayetteville to attend college, studied philosophy and economics here at the U of A. After I graduated, I spent some time on the East Coast, bartending in and around New York City. Taught English for two years in Taiwan. Came back here, and I'm guessing I defer to the person with superior memory. In this relationship. So 2010, nine? Yeah. About 2009? Yeah. And uh, I'd heard that she had started Restore Humanity, was doing some cool things. I got involved initially just volunteering at events. Mm-hmm. And then later, she Helping asked write me, a grant. Helped me yeah. do some grant writing. Then at some point, she put you to work. We started dating. And so. Yeah. And then he came to Kenya for the first time in, in 2012. 2012. That's right. What was that experience like? Well, first of all, you should know it takes eight airplanes to get there. Uh, I mean, any trip you take, it takes four to get there and four, yeah, yeah, four to get yeah, back. Yeah, absolutely. It, I was pre- I'm pretty well traveled, so it wasn't, there was nothing that was totally shocking or unique about the experience. But what really took me back from the moment I got there is that they really consider Sarah one of their own. Yeah. She's Sarah in Sarembe, yes, right? Yes, in Sarembe, in yes I'm not saying that right. She's, she's, her Luo is better than mine. He's but, daughter of Sarembe. Right. Okay. And so people would speak to me as if I was dating their daughter. Oh, right. Okay. Now, now I traveled with her from yeah. the other side of the world to get to meet these people who clearly love my now wife, then girlfriend. And so, you know, no pressure, no big deal. Yep, yep. <laughs> uh, especially with Madi. Yeah, Mrs. Mrs. Opat. She's an intimidating. Yeah, you've woman. you've never met anyone <laughs> as formidable or as intimidating as as she is. <laughs> I'm tempted to tell the story of her speaking at our wedding. It's just brief. Briefly. Okay. Well, so I'm trying to keep it brief. My sister, so I have two sisters. She has two brothers. Okay. My sisters were my best men. Okay. In our wedding. Okay. And her brothers were were her bridesmaids. Okay. So that's how that worked. And my sisters both give very beautiful speeches that happen to be mostly, I think, about me. Yep. Right. Cole, her youngest brother, gives a speech 
was also quite complimentary of me. <laughs> right. Joey does my older, jo- brother. Her older brother Joey does does her justice. Yeah. But at this count, the you know, no yeah. one's keeping count at this point. But it's three to it one. It was but it wasn't lost on me <laughs> in the moment that the speeches so far have leaned kind of heavily in my favor. That's not a competition, but they're leaning yeah, in yeah. my favor I a little bit. You. I got you. And so Made traveled from Kenya to attend our wedding. And she gives a speech that was probably worth two or three that was mostly about Sarah. And she at some point says, Boo. You have a jewel. And I was like, and I felt like I didn't know whether to to salute her. But there was was a little bit of (laughs) aggression in the way she said it. But anyway, it was a fantastic speech. And anyway, it stuck with me more than the other ones. They were mostly about me. But That's funny. And she called you by your nickname. Boo. Boo. Sorry. Yes. Yes. If you say Herbert, I'll generally turn around and look for my father. (laughs) Right. uh, Because I'm Herbert Jr. But everybody knows you as Boo. Yes. Okay. All right. Cool. Cool. So I'm sure somebody's going to listen to this and be like, I know him. Right. Yeah. (laughs) Right. Like Herbert McCannon. Who's that? Right. Right. That's funny. That's funny. I mean, people have been calling you Boo since you were like a teeny baby. So. Right. Teachers, everybody. Football coaches. Yeah. yeah. Employers. Everybody. (laughs) Okay. But Mrs. Opot loves him. Yeah. He won her over that first trip. Yes. Okay. Thankfully. But she's still, she's still yeah, my mother, so she right. protects me. <laughs> right. And just, just, but, you know, the quality of the staff and how well-trained they were, how committed they were, how obviously committed they were to the well-being of the children and how well the children seemed to get along. I mean, you, you hear stories of this, the kind of the terrible situations that they come from yeah. prior to coming to, to be at our, our children's home, but they're playing with toys and if they're arguing, it's about like you know somebody cheated at Uno or or something, right? Right. So, just how happy the kids were, and how it just it was just a really impressive scenario that she's and she and Mrs. Opot were able to establish. So that was kind of what I walked into in 2012 for my first visit. Wow. So tell me this. I mean, I mean, we're in 2022 now, and like I said, I've seen the fruits of your labor over the years. But did you imagine that you would be where you are today? Back then in 2010, 2011, 2012? Honestly, I had no, I I mean, I didn't, when you're younger, you just don't really, I don't know. I didn't think about it in terms of like, where are we going to be in 10 years? I just thought of like, kind of just one step at a time. Like we started with 10 kids and I just wanted to get them there and take care of them. And then, you know, we slowly moved kids in. But our original goal was just, we've got space. We're people that want to care for kids. These kids need a place. And so let's give them a home. and. It took me a while to really believe that it was working. Like I would see that it was working and the kids were, but it's like they've just been through so much, you know, yeah. and you just think that, you know, you want to believe that love and consistency, I mean, because we keep like we don't allow volunteers to come there. We are. It's just Kenyan staff that's taking care of the kids like we come and visit them, but we just don't want to have people in and out of their lives because they've already had that way too much. And so the consistency of care, like the women that have been caring for them since they first got there are the same women that are there. And so you want to believe that love, safety, and all of these things can rebuild a child's life. And it it actually does work, which is amazing. They're really resilient. But it took me a while to really go, okay, we're doing this. Like this is actually a thing. Because some of the stuff that I had seen in South Africa were more like warnings don't do this. This is how bad it can be. And sure. so I had seen really bad examples, both in South Africa and Kenya, that I didn't want to do. Like one of the places we visited in Kenya, and I think the people that were running it were very, they were trying their very best and it was all coming from a very good place. 
but they just had so many children. And then they only had like four people taking care of them. And they had, I think when we went, there was like 70 children. Oh, wow. And the guy who was running it, he was just kind of flabbergasted and he was taking these kids in. They needed a place, you know, and I, I respected it, but I, this was before we opened ours. And this is one of the reasons that we said, we're not really going to go over 20. I mean, we, we can go to 25, but like we're keeping it at this small number Yeah, because otherwise people stop getting as much food. I mean, even yeah. if you like look at resources, but just even care, you know, we want it like from when we started, we decided that we want it to be run like an institution, have policies, rules, I mean, different things that we're doing. But for the kids, it's supposed to feel like a home. It needs to feel like a family because I feel like as humans, we don't need to be raised in institutions. Yeah. We yeah. need that home. We need that family. We need a place to have our roots and people that with place where I feel like we belong. And if you've got 70, 90 kids, it's hard. You lose that. I mean, yeah. you just, you're going to lose that part of it, even if you're helping. And yeah. so it was just kind of seeing the way people were doing it. And I was like, no, no, no. <laughs> so those things were helpful, but I was just very anxious to get it right. Yeah. And so tell me this, because as I, as, and again, just, I want to paint a picture for the listeners so they can have a better understanding of how Restore Humanity works. Young, now all of those kids that, that have come to Restore Humanity, they weren't necessarily, I mean, they weren't parentless, right? I mean, they- Most of them are. Most, most of them of have them lost are. both parents. Okay. And then- the other children have lost at least one parent. Okay. We did have one little girl in the early days that both of her parents were alive, but her father was abusive and her mother didn't. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't a great situation, but her grandmother lied to us and said that the parents were dead. Oh. We found okay. out like a year later that that wasn't true, but I'm really happy she did it because she's still with us and she's a fantastic little girl. And she's now reconnected with her mom and is, you know, we keep, we, we do our best to keep the kids connected to family members, even if parents are gone, but almost sure. every one of them has lost both parents, if okay. not one. All right. So then they come to you and then you guys love up on them. You teach them that, or do they go to school? They go to school. Okay. We have a daycare center, like an ECD center, which in Kenya is what it's called, just early childhood development. So mm -hmm. that's like basically three-year-olds to like pre-K. Okay. Yeah. All right. And then what I was amazed by was that you had one of the kind of graduates, if you will, of your program that is actually here in the States. He's working in Charlotte, doing amazing things. I mean, you've just the the laundry list of accomplishments are, are kind of off the charts, but how do you get these young people from that initial stage to where this young man is? I believe his name is Moses, mm -hmm. but I mean, just phenomenal outcomes. And it's like, that just doesn't happen overnight. And so what I mean? Well, I mean, to be honest, a lot of it is them. Yeah. Right. These kids are like. It's not as if we're selecting for right. the most talented. <laughs> no. You're, you're amazing not, and you're, you're amazing. You're not Charles Xavier. <laughs> you're like, no. you I'm guys are all special. No, I mean, it's, it's really. <laughs> we had somebody tell us this and we hadn't really thought about it. A dear friend of ours, Candy Clark, who passed away in 2020. But she just said to us one day, she goes, you know, everything you're doing is about leadership. And I was like, that's really true. Like, it's yeah. not we're not explicitly saying be leaders, be leaders, but like the kind of environment that we're giving our kids. I mean, they're becoming the best versions of themselves. And it's amazing. And some of our kids are in university and some of our kids will be electricians. And, and we have a big range, but we try to get them to get the best of themselves. But Moses is a particular example because he actually didn't live in our home. I met him in on my first trip there. He came up to me after church. He was this tiny little kid. And he was like, excuse me, madam. And I turned around and he asked me for 50 cents to help him get a protractor for his exam that was coming up in eighth grade. And so I gave him 50 cents. I'm going to ask Madde first because I don't yeah, <laughs> do anything right. without. Yeah. yeah. 
But I gave it to him. And then he just kept coming around after that. And from that moment, he kept telling me, I'm going to go to the United States and I'm going to become an engineer. Like this 14 year old kid that I'm like, what right. are you talking about? Yeah. And I thought he was bizarre for a while, but he just every year I would come and, you know, sometimes twice a year. And then he would just be there telling me this. And so he, he would actually, wait for hours yeah, for us to get back. So to, just so he could just tell us talk. that he's coming to the United yeah. States to be an engineer. And so I finally yeah. got to a point where, you know, with the university here and everything here, I just thought, well, because we just thought we were going to start JCO Children's Home and then that just that be what it is. But his kind of insistence and then me talking to people here, like, you know, you could bring people here. And I'm like, OK, so we kind of made a deal. I was like, you try your best and I'm going to try my best. And like, if you're working hard, I'll do my best. I can't yeah. make any promises. But he was our first kid that we paid for high school that's not in our children's home. So we, okay. we got him through high school. So he's the first kid in his family to go to high school. And then. Can we, should we back up for a second? So public high school in Kenya is not free. Yeah. Right. Yeah. The no, way that it's uniforms and everything. Yeah. Are, there's the uniforms and the books and the other supplies, miscellaneous stuff. If you can't pay the fees, then a lot of times kids don't get to go to high school. Right. And so, exactly. I mean, a, yeah, I mean, like, so, and that's a, a, a separate program that we have now right. to help more and more kids go. But so anyway, Moses went to high school. He did great. We had somebody that was a donor that was willing to like give him money for four years and trusted it. Like we just, it, it all kind of came together right? and we brought him here. And I mean, when he was here, if you look at his accomplishments, it's just ridiculous. Like Boo was talking about them at the dinner. He was at, at the U of A. He was the first international student to ever be in the Senate. He was well, the first homecoming king. Total overachiever. Yeah, right? his, his first year at the University of Arkansas, he becomes their first homecoming, homecoming king. king. That's funny. I know, That's but funny. just bizarre. Then, yeah. But yeah, but now he's graduated and he is actually an engineer in Charlotte and yeah. he's doing great. But so he's kind of an, a different case because he was our first kid that we brought here just to basically see if it worked. And he did so well. We actually have another student here, Juma, that's now going to the U of A. And he's from our children's home. Yeah. And he's doing information business systems. But it's like for each kid, you know, most of the kids that we have will be going to university or training or technical college actually in Kenya. Yeah. Because that's just better for them. Yeah. Better for them for their future being in Kenya. And it's just the cultural differences are really big. Like you have to, the kids that we've brought here, we've just been very selective because it's a really hard shift to go from being in a village to coming here. Yeah. And it, it takes quite a bit out of them, I think takes a special kind of person to be able to, to, to be able to thrive. And both of them have done great at that. Yeah. I mean, I, I just, you know, as I think about that and I think about some of the programs that I've been involved with in the past, I just, you know, you provided some hope and you gave uh, some inspiration to this young man that was, he was able to kind of take it and then marry that to his desire and willingness to put in the work to say, okay, I'm going to do this and, and look what happened. Mm -hmm. Right. So, I mean, I, I think, those are great stories. And I know there are still more to be told that haven't even been written yet. Yeah. When you think about all the young people yeah. that are coming through your program right now. So. Well, and Moses too, something really cool that he did like while he was here, it's just a couple of the kids being able to come here has also helped connect our communities a lot. You know, like Moses helped build the children's hospital in Rogers because that was his internship when he was an engineer. So he was able to do that. And then since he's actually been here, he actually raised money to build a classroom at his former, when he was still in college, he raised money himself to build a classroom at his former primary school in Surimbe. So it's really neat to see like RH scholars now, our kids that are getting older, the visions that they have for Surimbe, because we feel like the visions that they have for Surimbe are going to be, the ideas and the things that they want to do because they're from that community are going to far surpass what we would ever come up with. So we're yeah. excited to see all of their enthusiasm and 
their willingness to want to do it, you know. I should also, just to brag a little bit more on Moses, he has a brother and a cousin that are currently in college. Okay. That he's, he's putting them through college. Okay. So it's like with his resources that he got from his his job. And so it's a kind of domino effect, which was always kind of the intention, even if we didn't, don't know exactly how to to play out. Teach a person to fish. Mm. The rest Mm. of it kind of works itself out. So, yeah, that's exciting. So- what are your hopes now? I know you mentioned a couple of the challenges that you guys have kind of dealt with, specifically in bringing some of the young people here to the U.S., right? Yeah. Because of State Department issues and a lot of the things that have happened over the past few years between administrations and all that, it's just become a lot harder for people to get visas and yeah. to come here to the States. And that's really to our detriment more so than anything else. When I say our, I mean our country, because we need, Agreed. you know, we have bright minds here, but there are bright minds in other parts of the world that want to come here as well. Mm-hmm. Right. And while they're here, if they stay here for a long time or anything else, they end up paying taxes here and, you know. And they per- make our country better. And they make our country better. Yeah. yeah so, but I, I thought you guys made some really important points about that and what we should be looking forward to. I almost felt like, man, I wish I knew somebody in the State Department that I could call. Just <laughs> hey, brother, if you, you, know, you got just that to, number, please yeah, call Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, what, what can I do to get some help to these folks? Because, you know, I know, that, I know that you have some really great people. I remember you talking about that young lady that's there. I think she's probably in high school now. But No, uh, she's in college. Oh, yeah, she's she, in college. she started. Yeah. Because she started, but she should have been here. She should be here. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, that that's, you know, I'm sure you'll probably see more of that. And I guess the, the goal really is to have a place for them to land when they have matriculated through your program so that they can continue to do the good work that you've set them up to do. Yeah. I think the biggest thing is that was very frustrating. We were trying to bring Pamela here because she's someone that, gosh, she moved in in 2010. She was yeah, one, of the, one of the first 10 kids. Team. And so I knew from a very early age, this child has the ability to do anything. And I just watch her and and as she got older, I started, you know, she was asking me about the U.S. Because as soon as Moses came, everyone's like, hey, oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> do we get to come? What's going right, on? Right. And so there were a select few kids that I would talk to, like, listen, this isn't, you know, guaranteed at all. Like, but you have to do your part. You have to behave. You have to study. And Pamela was just, I mean, she's not perfect because no one's perfect, but she's really close. She's, <laughs> she's a fantastic human being. And it was just frustrating because of the pandemic. Everything got paused. And then State Department changes because of the pandemic. Anyway, we tried two different times to bring her and it just wasn't happening. So what we just had to shift gears and she was kind of she was ready to just get her life and her future started. So we got her started in college in Kenya and she's studying psychology and counseling. And it's not out of the question that even maybe for graduate school or something later on in her life, because she's just such a bright human that the more the more that we could give her to help her come into herself, the better it'll be for the world. Yeah, she's a fantastic. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. But a lot of the kids, as we said, even before that happened, are better suited in Kenya. That's just culturally and just kind of what they want to study and where they're going to be. And and we have a child that's studying. He's not a child anymore. He's like two feet taller than me. But (laughs) (laughs) Elvis, who's studying to be an engineer right now, excuse me, an electrician right now. Right. You know, we have uh, one of our kids that actually went to school with Pamela, who is now studying hospitality and restaurant management, which is mm. something you have to do to get into any of that in Kenya. Yeah, if you want to work at a prestigious or even kind of vaguely nice restaurant in Kenya, then they're going to want to see that you have this particular degree. Yeah, and he's doing great. So it's yeah, like, so he's doing well. And it's really neat to see them grow. And it's just to, to hear their ideas about what they think about in the future, like what could Surimbe be? Because a lot of, you know, we talked about this at the dinner too. 
one of our core values is intensive cross-cultural collaboration. Mm -hmm. And what that means is there's nothing that we do in Surimbe that we've from the beginning to now that we've started that hasn't come at the request of someone in the community. Right. Because we just feel like as Americans going in there, we could have all the ideas in the world, but we really don't know all the cultural boundaries and all the different things. And we believe that the people in the village know a lot more <laughs> about that than we do. We sure. bring, you know, we bring some things to the table, but like if it doesn't come from the community, we don't even go there. Right. I and mean, even from starting from the JCO Children's Home, like I said, uh, Mrs. Opot family reaches out to me and the kind of everything we've been able to do has come because of that. Right. And I just think that now it's like we've done that with the community, with the maternity ward we were able to build and all the different things we've been able to do. And now like our kids that have been growing up with us, it's like a whole new level of cross-cultural collaboration because now they're adults right. and they're starting to tell us their ideas and like who better to make our programs better than people that have been in them yeah. and are now trained in adults and, and understand what they feel like much more than right. we ever could, you know? And if we continue to, you know, cultivate business people and lawyers and psychologists and electricians, we'll have a kind of a cohort of people who are equally invested in our projects because they came from them. Sure. Mm -hmm. Right. Absolutely. And so our leadership is going to become more dynamic going forward because as these people, you know, become gainfully employed post whatever their university or uh, post-secondary education is, yeah. then we're going to have some pretty amazing people to work with to try to make things better going forward for the new crop of kids that kind of come to the JCO Children's Homes after the older ones leave. Yeah. And just Surimbe as a whole. I mean, my goodness, the community itself. And this How is big a, is Surimbe? Surimbe, the area is like, I would say 10 to 12,000 people. Just the, it's, it's in Siaya County, which is much bigger than that. But the area that we're in is still all dirt roads. There's more right. electricity now and people are figuring out different ways to get water in better situations. The Surimbe has grown a lot since I've been going. And even like the high school, when I first came, I think there was maybe 300 students, like two girls. Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then now... They make up the majority. Now it's like 2,000 students and there's more girls than boys now going to school. Hmm. And that I'm not taking credit for that yeah, at yeah. all. I was sure, sure. a part of that and adding pieces to it. I mean, that's change in leadership and different stuff at the school, but the community has grown a lot and we were able to do that with the maternity ward and help the local clinic. And so it's neat to see how it's already growing. Mm -hmm. In the future, I just can't even. Yeah, the wind was already blowing that direction, mm -hmm. but we helped it along a little bit. Yes, yeah, we're, we're part little, of it. Just, but there's a, a lot adjustment. of people doing stuff. Just sure, to... sure. So is there a wait to get into Restore Humanity? I mean, as far as... Into young... the children's home? Yeah, into the children's home itself. No, so how that works is when we have, basically, the district children's office from our the county where we're in, mm -hmm. will call us and say, we have kids, do you have space? It's something like human services. Yeah. Right. There. Right. So they'll just be like, you know, we have space. And then Made will call me and say, you know, is this okay? And then I say, yes. We just moved in four kids in January. Okay. Four new kids. Because we had a lot of kids graduate. Yeah. But right now, like, we don't have space to have anybody in. But there's not a wait list. There's other children's homes in the area that the county will take kids to. Okay. okay. So, but we just, we keep it at. Like are I you, said, a maximum of 25. Are you hoping to expand some? I'm trying to remember if you, you mentioned anything about expanding any of those buildings that you have. Is, so, is that part of the plan? No. So like I said, kind of with the children's home specifically, it's going to stay at 21 to 25 kids okay. until the end right. of time. Period. Until the end of its time, right. whenever, whenever that is. But since we have our RH Scholars Program, which is an extension of that, every kid that graduates from the JCO Children's Home, we try to provide some sort of post-secondary education to them, whether that's university, college, technical school, 
And so as we get more RH scholars, then we have more space at our JCO Children's Home and then kids can move in there. And so it's like these two programs just keep organically growing for how they're set up. So like in the next five years, we have eight kids in high school right now and they'll all be coming into being RH scholars. And then we have six RH scholars right now. So it's like it just keeps kind of growing. And then so we're, we're just focused on that and focused on doing that well and taking care of the kids we have. And we also have an outreach program that extends to we talked about a little bit about the high school not being free. But every year we raise money to send kids to high school that aren't in our home. And that's a program that could keep growing. Sure. Last year, I think we sent 137 additional kids to high school. And so that can keep growing. We have a maxi pad program where we provide this year it was a thousand girls with maxi pads for an entire year to help them go to school. So those are programs that can grow a little bit easier. But our children's home is kind of the core and the heart of what we're doing. And it stays the same size just for that, the home family type situation that we talked about. But there's other things like, you know, we've been able over the years to help build up the high school. We've built dorms there. We've built maternity wards. We've been able to do other things in the village. When there's opportunities for collaboration with village leadership on infrastructure projects, for example, we'll do that. Yeah. And we're always on, especially even a place where there's not paved roads and running water. It's not like there's going to be a lack of opportunity for that or a need for that, I should say, opportunities. We'll take it when we get it. But the home itself needs to stay 20 to 25 kids so that it feels like a family to the kids the entire time that they're there, right? So we get them at however old they are, and they have a continuity of of the caregivers that, you know, provide them with breakfast, help them with their homework, take them to the doctor when they're sick Mm -hmm. for the entire time that their entire childhood and adolescence at the JCO Children's Home. And then when they graduate, they'll join the Restore Humanity Scholars Program, and we'll put them in whatever situation is most conducive to their success based on their aptitude and ambition. Yep. And then, yeah. well, and also just to say, like, as you're saying this, because people often ask me this, like, we don't do any adoptions from the home at all. It's right. not, we, like, once the kids are ours, like, they're ours and they're staying with us. Most of them are with siblings, like, sure. at our home. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually their home to keep that consistency going. Cause I know a lot of international groups, that's a very different thing. So, yeah, it's, it's just very much their home. Okay. And that's where they'll be until they graduate. But so it's like, the way that it's set up because we want to help them afterwards and they kind of become alumni and they're working. And so it's just like everything's when we look towards the future and in the next five years, it's going to be just mostly making sure we can take care of all the scholars that are coming through and taking care of the new kids. But then, you know, you look 10 years down the line and some of the ideas that people like Juma or Jareem or Moses have for, you know, the community of Serimbe, those are ways that we could possibly expand and do more. Yeah. 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 But we're kind of waiting to see where their visions take us. We're just trying to do what we're doing well and make yeah. sure that all the kids that are dependent on us now, we keep doing that for. Yeah, I'd like to speak on Juma's ambition for just a second. Juma's the young man who's at the Walton College right now. He, and I think you and I talked about this when we met the other day, he would like to set up some kind of computer training center so that people in the village can learn uh, programming languages mm-hmm. that there's a market for yep. so that people there can be getting paid in US dollars or euros or the British pound. He wants to start his own Fiverr or yep. Upwork right, yep. there, right there yep. in Serimbe. Yeah. And the talent's there. Like poverty wastes the potential of people in this village. And he wants he wants to kind of join us in our mission to try to like develop all that human potential and talent. And truly really excited. He, he has a kind of passion for this and he knows a lot more about it than I do. But he's going to be finished at the Walton College here in the next 
I don't know, a year and a half, two years. Mm-hmm. So once he gets started on that, that's going to be very, very exciting for a lot of people. Well, and it's crazy to me because there's not very much access to computers at all. Like mm. there's a there's a couple in the school. There's a kind of computer place where people can ask someone to type something for them. But most people don't know. I mean, Juma didn't have really any access to computers before he came here. And now he can like literally break computers apart and put them back together. And also he can do software and hardware. hardware. Yeah. Are he you, does programming. He's codes. Yeah, no, I know. Are and you guys, I can't. I'm not surprised by any of that. I don't know if you've ever heard the story that Seth Godin told about uh, them dropping off a bunch of laptops to a village in Africa. And they didn't give them any instructions or any manuals or anything on how to use these. And they came back like six months later and the kids had all taken the laptops out and repurposed them and had, you know, had figured out how to code them properly and all this <laughs> stuff. And awesome. so, so all that speaks to the simple fact that the mind is, is a lot more malleable mm. and there's a lot more ingenuity there than we give credit for, right? We just assume that, oh, everybody's got to teach everybody something, but there's some things that these young people, especially young people today, I don't mm-hmm. care what race you are, young people today, they iterate and learn things at a faster pace than even we did, right? right. I mean, we're all kind of contemporaries in age, but like when I look at what my 12 year old can do and I'm just like, man, just it's light speed, right. you know, and, you know, and so I just think that it's important for us to remember that. So a lot of times people say, oh, well, you know, those resources over there won't really benefit them because they can't do anything with it. And I beg to differ. I believe mm-hmm. they can do actually a lot with it. And just we, need the opportunity. Right. right. Yeah. The yeah. opportunity needs to be seen. Yeah. So, yeah. So I want to ask you guys this as we kind of wind this up, because this is this has really been an interesting conversation about uh, Restore Humanity. And I'm I'm glad this is kind of a different podcast for those of you that are my regular listeners. I wanted to just tie this all back into what you guys see as the philanthropic movement or thrust of things here in Northwest Arkansas, because I just I was really warmed by my experience at the dinner that I attended with you guys at Bordino's. I saw how people were so giving and it wasn't just that people were willing to write checks and all that. That's great. We need checks. Mm -hmm. We need checks. But (laughs) I just see people's heart to help is very pronounced here in Northwest Arkansas. Would you characterize that as both of you guys as being kind of locals? Would you characterize that as being something that you've experienced throughout your time growing up here in Northwest Arkansas? Absolutely. And honestly, both of our families, both of our parents, sets of parents were kind of philanthropic in their own way, just helping locally kids. Right. And that's kind of how we both grew up. But yeah, this community is fantastic. I mean, like I said, when I came back from South Africa originally, I was really frustrated because I was like, gosh, all these people need help and, the, you know, no one cares. And this is kind right. of what I was thinking as a young person, you know. Right. And But then the more people I told about it, everybody's like, well, okay, what are we doing? Yes. And I really. How can I help? Yes. Yeah. And and so many people were ready to do that. I mean, and we have people that were like, there's a Roger Boskis who was actually. The shout out to Roger of, Yeah, shout out to Roger Boskis. His daughter, I actually taught her at Montessori and he was one of the first parents that came to me with like shipping container stuff. Like we're going to send stuff and we're going to do this just when I was her teacher. Yeah. And he's still on our board of directors. He's fantastic. He's with Miller Boskis and Lacker. I guess it's MBL now architects, but he's amazing. But So there's people that have been a part of what we're doing from the beginning. And it's been really amazing to see. I mean, honestly, everything we've been able to do and the thousands and thousands of people we've been able to help, everything's come from Northwest Arkansas. Yeah. Every like all. I mean, there's been little bits from Austin and some other places there, but it's really all been Northwest Arkansas, individuals and businesses and people that a lot of people at that dinner you saw were founders of our home 12 years ago. Sure. They were people willing to write a big check to say, I believe in what you're doing. And they come every year and they're there. It's like, 
the wine dinner especially honestly the wine dinner like restores my humanity because <laughs> i when i stand up there and talk to i'm serious because i stand up there and talk to these people all across the political spectrum people that are very different yeah, people yeah. and they're all there and i can as i'm telling them these stories about the kids and the stuff that we're doing the stuff they help us do i can feel that energy coming back at me and see that it's not just they're there to write a check and they're there because they're obligated. Like They feel this. They deeply connect to wanting to help other people. And we're just one nonprofit. I mean, my goodness, what is there, 1,500, 1,800 nonprofits sure. in our area? I yeah. mean, it's insane. Maybe more. Which And it's wonderful. Yeah, it And it's is. wonderful that people, the same people that come to our events go and help all of these other things because we need help in our area. We need help all over the place. And I can't think of a more philanthropic place that I've been to. Yeah. I mean, this community is a huge part of what we've been able to do. No, I, I agree. And I, I you know, I've, I've, I've asked, it's more of a leading question for me because I kind of know the answer, but I've asked this to a, many of my guests because I want to hear what their thoughts are. And I've shared my experiences in being in other parts of the country, the San Francisco's, the Boston's, the New York's. I mean, it's a little different in those areas. Not that their philanthropy exists there as much as it does here. It just might look a little different. Mm. And I would just subscribe to the fact that the philanthropy here is, A, is it's much more open. And uh, of course, there's always going to be people that would rather keep certain things as close to the vest as possible. You don't have to tell, here's a check for $100,000. You don't have to give my name. And that's fine. I, and, and I respect that. But I just think that this is a very conducive place for giving and for helping organizations really meet out the goals and, and the missions and visions and values that they have for themselves, whether they're serving the needs of people both here in Northwest Arkansas or in Serimbe right. in Kenya. I mean, it's so neat to me because it's like people here feel connected to these kids yeah. across the globe. And they, I mean, a lot of them they'll never meet, but they come and they want to know all of their stories and talk about them. And they're very excited about it. I mean, it's it's a really beautiful thing. Yeah. It gives me hope that if all the, you know what I mean? Like yeah, I as divisive you. as our world can be and feel sometimes to see the genuine care that someone has about someone they'll never meet is why we need to be hopeful. Exactly. Because, yes, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's all is not Humans lost. Humans are better than yeah, this. Yeah. I mean, yes. even going to your, it, attending your wine dinner gave me hope, right? Mm -hmm. You know, I was like, oh, okay, you know, there's a lot of good people here. I scanned the room. I knew, some people I knew, some people I knew of their reputation. Uh, of course, there was Gary and others and, and Adam Arroyo and still, and it was, I was just impressed by everybody that I came in contact with and people genuinely wanted to be there. And this was like, not like a checkbox for them. Right. So yeah, which is different. Yeah. Sometimes yeah. you can go to places and yeah, it's yeah, like you know, they it's have like, to go because yeah, of work. Well, you know, they're whatever. looking for the photographer because they want to get their picture taken <laughs> right. so they can be seen. And that's, you know, and that's kind of that. But that was certainly not the case with you guys. Listen, I want to, I want to land this plane and I, and I certainly want to encourage anybody listening to this. If this this program in any way, shape, or form, because I'm I'm a, on the side, I'm a hype man, so I like to hype things up. <laughs> if this organization in any way, shape, or form, if what you've heard from Sarah and Herbert, or Boo, as we like to call him, <laughs> anything that you've heard from them really moves you to say, you know, I want to help out Restore Humanity. How can people do that? The best way is to go to our website, which okay. is RestoreHumanity.org. Okay. Um, we're also on Instagram under Restore Humanity, Facebook, right. Restore Humanity. We're very easy to get in touch with. Yeah. So you can check out our website, check out the stuff we're doing and reach out to us. Yeah. Well, I want to make sure some people do that. And we certainly want to highlight your upcoming events. So we're going to make sure that we have that on our regular calendar so we can let people know about that. And then we can kind of go from there. Because I, I honestly didn't know what to expect or what I was going to experience when I was invited to this, but now that I know, I'm like, okay, well, yeah, we, we want to, we want to let people know. So, yeah, thank and, you. and then they can tell two friends really and so on it. and so forth. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. 
But I appreciate you guys coming and meeting with me. And as I told Boo or Herbert, I said, man, I'd love to have you guys come before your wife has this baby. Because, yes. <laughs> you know, once you have a baby, yeah. everything changes. I mean, you already have for one. for a few months. Right. You already have one. But crazy. I was like, you know, I really want to. I mean, I was moved by what you guys were doing. And I was like, I want to get this. I want to get this podcast memorialized and recorded because I think I want to share it with my audience. And so I really appreciate what you guys are doing. And I wish you nothing but continued success, both in your personal lives, but also in this professional endeavor. But it's really more than just a professional endeavor, right? I mean, you guys are living this on a daily basis. Yeah. So so I wish you nothing but continued success as you move restoring humanity forward. And in some way, shape, or form, in your own little way, you are restoring humanity. <laughs> thank you. In, in, a very, in a very special way. So I appreciate you guys so much. Well, I just want to thank you for having us. And oh. also thank you for what you're doing for our community, because it's like, Listening to your podcast is extremely uplifting. It's like all these stories of people doing great stuff in our area. And it's, we need more of this. So thank you. Especially because we're from here, right? Yeah. It's like, man, where I live is really dope. Right. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like we can take it for granted sometimes because we've been here, you know. Right, right. But like, no, it's fantastic. I appreciate it. It's fantastic. And it's just positive stories and you're giving people platforms. Like it's just, it's a really, it's a wonderful thing that you're doing. And we really appreciate being invited here. I'm really happy to meet you. Uh, well, I appreciate that. I, I the, the feeling is mutual. And I, I'll say it like uh, what the evil witch said in Wiz, don't nobody bring me no bad news. So, <laughs> you know, so I, I rather, I, and on the auspices of that, I prefer to bring good news as yes, much as possible. We need so, a so. lot more of it. We need a lot more of yes. it than anything else. So, well, no, I appreciate you guys so much. Thanks for coming back on. This won't be the last time. And we will certainly talk about your events in the future. And we'll make sure that everybody has your contact information and our show notes. They'll be able to get them at IamNorthwestArkansas.com. So we'll share that. But thank you guys both very much for coming on. Thank Thank you. you, Appreciate Appreciate it. it. Well, folks, that's another episode of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. To learn more about us or to read or download the show notes from today's episode and learn more about Restore Humanity, visit IamNorthwestArkansas.com. You can also listen to this podcast and sign up for our free newsletter to keep up with us and all things NWA. Sign up today. And remember, you can subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And please consider rating and reviewing us on Apple Podcasts. Our podcast comes out every Monday, rain or shine. I'm your host, Randy Wilburn, and we'll see you back here next week for another episode of the I Am Northwest Arkansas podcast. Peace. We hope you enjoyed this episode of I Am Northwest Arkansas. Check us out each and every week, available anywhere that great podcasts can be found. For show notes or more information on becoming a guest, visit IamNorthwestArkansas.com. We'll see you next week on I Am Northwest Arkansas.